right, today we're going to talk about applying to the health profession programs. We're going to use an example of medical school to start with. So these are the demographic numbers from 2011. And you'll notice that 56% of the UNL students were accepted to medical school, which is over the national average. The good thing for UNL students is over the last 10 years, we've always been over the national average when we're applying to medical school. Why are the numbers even going to be important for you as a student? First of all, it gives you guidelines for competitiveness. This tells you a little bit about where you can look to go to medical school or in all of the other professional programs, you're going to want to look up the numbers for your programs for GPA, entrance exam scores, number of non-resident versus resident students that they admit, just so you can understand, is this going to be a good fit for you? Knowing the numbers also will give you a sense of the timeline for application. So if you need to work on your numbers a little bit and your numbers are well below the average for the schools that you want to apply to, you may need to delay your application so that you can be more competitive. The one thing I always want to tell you is not to fear the numbers. We want to use them as a baseline for assessing your academic strengths and also getting an idea of where to apply. But at the same time, know that these will be reviewed by the committees in terms of the academic trends that you're presenting so that when you're looking at your terms and you're working with advisors to look to see how you can improve your application, if you have a downward trend, it's not a good time to apply. If you have a solid upward trend that lasts at least for three semesters and those semesters have been rigorous, at least 15 to 18 hours worth of credit hours with minimal summer hours in between those, then you're probably demonstrating enough rigor to apply to the professional programs. So run your numbers, look at an official transcript, sit down, take a practice exam to see how you fit with that previous slide. The steps to apply will be similar across all of the health profession programs, so we're going to break all of these down based on entrance exam, the centralized application and what that includes, all of the secondary applications, letters of recommendation, whether those are going to be through a centralized service or through the secondary application process, interviews, and how the programs work the acceptance decisions. We'll start with the entrance exams. Most of the programs will have science-based exams. Right now, those science-based exams are the MCAT, OAT, DAT, and PCAT, representing medicine, optometry, dentistry, and pharmacy. Some programs will require seeing an ACT score just so they have a baseline of where you're at in high school compared to current. Those programs generally are those that will accept students without a bachelor's degree, so it gives them two to three years of high school performance and then how you did when you were in college. Some programs will also require the non-science-based exams like the GRE. Those programs are PT, um, some OT programs, PA programs. When the GRE is required, you're not required to take the subject-based test, just the general test. All of, our all of our entrance exams are going to be time-standardized, multiple-choice tests that are designed to assess your problem-solving, critical thinking, and writing skills. All of these tests will be based on their sciences, on coursework that you've taken. The GRE, obviously, is based on your abilities to think as a college student. The scores for all of the entrance exams are represented in different ways and oftentimes are a combination of different skills across content areas. Uh, most of them are broken out into biological sciences, physical sciences, general chemistry, organic chemistry, some combination of understanding your reading and verbal reasoning skills, and then the writing sample has been there for the MCAT. That has been eliminated, but some of the practice exams you do may still talk about the writing sample piece until the new MCAT rolls out in 2015. 
and the DAT has a special section for perceptual ability. Across the entrance exams, all of them will have different ways to register. Most of the time you're going to be doing these um, online through an application service site or a testing service site specifically. You want to pay attention to the dates and registration deadlines for your professional schools and time your entrance or your entrance exam accordingly. And you also want to make sure that you've completed the right coursework prior to taking the test. Some of the tests have set dates and times, others you just take it as you register. So the MCAT and PCAT are computer-based tests, and those tests are offered multiple times a year, where your DAT, GRE, OAT are all computer-based tests, but they're through a testing center with flexible scheduling. So once you pay the online, you do the online registration, pay the fee, you receive a confirmation code and you can sign up for the test. MCAT and PCAT, when you pay your online fee and you do your registration, you'll actually sign up for which test date you want to take, and then you cannot sign up for future test dates until that test has been completed. We also encourage you to release your scores and application information to advisors. This will help your advisors at the university um, work with you a little bit better because we'll have access to the scores in a more timely manner. Also, when you have an opportunity to print off an unofficial score or an official score report, in the case of DAT, GRE, and OAT, print off a copy of that and keep that in a safe place because those systems will not issue you a new score report to yourself without a two to three week delay. And in some cases, you need to actually record that information on your application, like on, for the OAT onto OpTomCast, and that can delay you being able to submit OpTomCast if you don't have those scores personally in your hand. So make sure that you keep track of those, and as I said, also release the scores to your advisors. Getting ready for the entrance exam varies by student based on how you prepare for really big tests and lots of information. The number one recommendation is that you complete all your prerequisite coursework prior to the exam. If you don't complete the coursework, you're going into the exam with the assumption that you can skim through the information and be able to perform well. And in most of the cases on the science-based exams, that's not going to happen. So make sure you have all the coursework done. If you have any questions about which courses you need to have prior to your entrance exam, work with your advisors in the Explore Center. Be sure to take full-length practice tests. This will give you a baseline of what you know and also give you a sense of what the testing format is going to be like. This can help you determine what are your strengths going into the prep process. Also, all of the test prep companies, as well as the actual people who write the exams, have really good study manuals. They call them student manuals, study guides, tutorials. Take advantage of all of these things before you decide whether to invest in a commercial prep or you venture into the process by yourself as an individual. The study guides will tell you what type of questions will be on the exam, they'll give you a sense of the content that will be on the exam, and from there you can determine what type of information to pull together from your own college class notes or from other materials that you might be able to access through a Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or any of the other companies that will sell the materials outright for you to use by yourself. Learning style will often determine whether you want to do it as an individual or commercial prep. Individual just means that you're taking the same amount of time that a commercial prep company would do, but you're saving yourself a couple thousand bucks. Set down, pull the information together, and assess as you go as you're learning the material to see how you're performing on the test, and then go back and review the material. Some of the, um, some of the organizations that write the entrance exams have really good test prep materials available, available to you. Um, for example, for the MCAT, there's a self-assessment package, which has practice tests, 
as well as where you can actually um, go through and practice certain question types that for you, you know are weaknesses. Um, same for um, some of the other companies, Exam Cracker, Princeton Review, Barron's, will all have things that you can use on your own to prepare. And then if you need a structured setting, whether it be an online format where you're working with a person and they're teaching you through a web format, or if you're sitting in a classroom for the commercial prep, you can invest in that if you need to. For all the computer-based tests, be sure to practice on a computer because that's how you're going to be testing. The flow is very different if you've been doing everything on paper and then you have to read large amounts of material and think about questions as they flow through a computer. Also, you need to become familiar with the navigation tools, moving forward, moving backwards. What can you do within the system before you take the actual test? And I always tell students, you have to practice. You can't go into any type of the entrance exams assuming that you can just take it. You know, have you ever run a marathon? You can't go out and run a marathon in two weeks. It takes several weeks or months to get ready to run a marathon. And you're gonna be spending hours taking these science-based exams. The new MCAT in 2015 will be a seven-hour exam. Right now it's four hours. You have to be mentally ready to sit down and test for several hours. Now many of the other exams are not that long, but mentally you can't assume that you're gonna be able to sit down and take it unless you sit down and put your brain to that kind of thinking. Once you have the numbers, so we've already talked about you know, where are you at with your GPA, looking at a transcript, assess where you're at on a practice test, get a sense of how those are going to be going for you, and then you can start thinking about how to choose your programs. We usually recommend students break their program choice into three tiers. First of all, have a tier where you are comparable to a lot of different schools. The whole goal of this process is to get into a professional program. So we want to see where do you have the best chance of getting in. So you want to be comparable in your entrance exam scores and your GPA. When we say comparable, around the median um, or within a couple points of the median, uh, the lowest couple points below the median. Um, a lot of people think about geographical area. You know, you're sick of Nebraska weather. You're going to move out where it's going to be warmer all the time. Um, you have family or relations on different areas and you want to move to where they're located. Those are things that people will take into consideration. And you also make sure that the largest group of schools you apply to are financially accessible. So not applying to 10 private schools as the biggest group that you're applying to because those are gonna be the most expensive. Have within that first tier of schools something that you know that you can afford to access if you're going to be accepted. Pick some shoes that you know you're going to get into, or some schools as a shoe in that you know you're gonna get into. Um, these would be schools where you are above the comparable exam scores and GPA and then also those schools where you, uh, it's a public school in your state of residence. That's always going to be the best chance to get in. And then your long shot schools, these are the ones that you just always wanted to apply to. Um, I don't encourage students to waste money on the third tier. So you've always dreamed of going to the school but you're nowhere near the numbers. Don't waste your money on it. For students who have applied for a fee assistance program through many of the application services, um, they do have the ability to apply to schools that they never thought of going to because those schools are recruiting disadvantaged students and disadvantage is defined by financial status. So that does open up for some students the ability to apply to a Harvard or Yale um, because they'll waive the fee and then give you a chance to be considered. So that could be okay, but we want the third tier to be our probably smallest group of schools. Determining how many schools really depends on what are your goals to get in. Um, some programs will look questionable on a student that only applies to one school in the process. Um, 
take a school like dentistry, for example, where they only have 45 seats. If someone only applies to UNMC's College of Dentistry with only 45 seats, the College of Dentistry kind of wonders, how serious are you about going to dental school? Because we know we can't accept everybody. But at the same time, you don't want to apply to so many schools that financially it's a burden. Um, I've seen students apply to 27 medical schools. It's a ridiculous amount when, if you would have looked at the numbers ahead of time, you could have pulled that down to about 10 schools and probably had a good shot at all of those rather than casting the net so broadly just to get into a school at 27. So really stepping back and seeing how all this fits together. You could always add additional schools if you see that there's a school that you want to apply to um, after you do a little bit more research. All of the application processes will roll through some type of a centralized application service. Um, some programs in some states will also have you apply directly to the program instead. So these are really going to vary by health profession and program. Overall, these are all of the centralized application services. Call it the alphabet soup of applications. Um, kind of complicated because not all schools participate in all services. ChiroCast is new. So for chiropractic schools, not all schools right now are participating. Nursing CAS, same way, not all schools participate. Other places, like AMCAS, only a couple schools don't participate in AMCAS. So you can look through the guidebooks for each of the professionalized services and see which ones you will be using, which ones require a school-specific application only, and which schools require everything through the centralized application first. So we'll talk a little bit about the centralized application services. Um, these are nice because it provides a one-stop online place that you can pull everything together. They'll have a standardized fee structure based on the number of schools you're applying to. Some of those will have it more in a table form where if you apply to uh, 10 schools, you'll pay a certain fee. Other places you pay one standardized fee and then you pay an additional fee for each of the schools that you want that report sent to. All of them will include a process for transcript requests a uh, place to do a personal statement. They call that essay, personal statement, comments, narrative. You'll see it described several different ways in the application process. There's some type of a report that is distributed to the schools that you can also access a copy for yourself. There'll be some process for letters of recommendation and evaluation, whether that comes to the service or they have it set up where you're sending it to the schools directly or through a service like Interfolio. And then there's the school or the application specific deadlines that will be tied to the centralized application and the secondary applications will have deadlines themselves. Secondary applications will happen once the schools receive the centralized application in uh, the actual report format. They'll use that as a review tool to send it out. Other programs will automatically send out secondary applications once they know you've applied. So that process times a little differently. We always want you to apply as early as possible. Early as possible is going to give you the best chance in programs that have rolling admissions because you are accessing more seats. Now some schools where they don't review anything until the deadline, like radiation sciences, um, the nursing programs, a lot of cases, applying early isn't as important except that you get it off the table. You don't have to worry about anything. If there are problems, you can anticipate those problems in advance. So it just minimizes the hassle. Um, other times applying early means that you're applying to a special program. Medicine and some other programs have what's called early decision or regular decision. Early decision programs will commit you to the program at the time of an early application. You're being reviewed for everybody else and they usually have a set number of seats that they define for early decision. 
early decisions are contracted missions so if you're accepted to an early decision program you have to go to that program or you're locked out of an application for an entire year other places will have what's called early assurance early assurance programs just means that they're going to look at you and offer interviews to you earlier so PA programs you apply by September 1st that's the early bird deadline for registration fees also if you have your application complete by September 1st the programs will guarantee that you have an earlier interview so for UNMC they sent out an interview for their PA program filled all of their early interview slots with everybody that applied by September 1st the potential is there to fill the majority of their class with that first group of students so it's really advantageous to get your application in early the other side to that is if you're getting your application in early make sure it's complete and it's accurate so we're going to use an example of AMCAS AMCAS is a centralized application for the American Medical Colleges that are allopathic versus the osteopathic system. Within the process for AMCAS, there are wonderful resources available, and we do a separate presentation specifically on AMCAS right about the time that the AMCAS application will open up. But I encourage you to go out there and look at the resources available for all of your centralized applications. All of them will have some type of a worksheet or a check sheet that you can use. There will be a candidate information book. AMCAS calls it an application instruction manual. All of these are standardized across the applications that you'll be applying for, but the great thing is it has all of the questions answered for you. Majority of the time, if you look at this information for any of the centralized applications, you'll be able to answer the question without contacting them by phone or email or asking an advisor. There will also be a form for a transcript request. All transcript requests to your professional applications have to be from your registration office for all schools that you've attended. This is where it can get complicated for students who have dual enrollment coursework or possibly coursework from several different institutions. You need to have an official transcript from all of your schools. Here you're going to enroll for individual schools and the application will then charge you an additional fee for each report that you're going to have sent. The report is sent to the school and then based on the school's review process, they'll either immediately send out a secondary application or they'll review the AMCAS once it's been processed and the GPA has been calculated and all information is received and then determine whether or not they want to send you a secondary application. So this process can take a lot of time. The secondaries can also be very involved. They can include many essays. They can include requests for additional information. And the secondary part of the process will also evaluate or lay out for you what is the letter process for that particular school. AMCAS is where you will send out a generalized personal statement to all medical schools. Um, in this situation, about 5,300 characters, one page, single space, has to be generalized across the medical schools, so you can't personalize it to each individual school. And the letters of evaluation all roll through the centralized application service, so you'll want to become familiar with how does that work so you can communicate with your letter writers what that process is going to look like for them. You need to plan for the expenses associated with any of your applications and also the related expenses. So we're going to use an example continuing with the medicine. Primary, secondary, interviews. Always assume when you're filling out the primary application that you have a purpose for doing this. This goes back to the beginning of the presentation when we talked about numbers. We don't want to apply to any professional program just because the timing says we should. I'm a junior, I'm going into my senior year, I need to apply to medical school. If you're not competitive and you're not going to get into medical school, don't apply. Take a year, step back, and look at your numbers, do what you can to get in. And that's where you can work with your advisors to really see how competitive are you going to be. 
if you're filling out the primary application you're going to assume you have secondaries if you're filling out secondaries assume you have interviews and if you have interviews we hope that you're going to be accepted you're going to have acceptance fees so all of this means that we're going to have some expense to plan for you also need to plan that if you're applying across multiple programs so for the case of medicine we have allopathic and osteopathic two separate application services two separate secondaries everything is individual we also have students that apply to allopathic and physician assistant so then you're also talking about medical school application pa application separate services separate fees the information does not share across so this chart just gives you an example of what it would cost to apply to medical school looking at the standard numbers that our students use it's not a process that you can go into with a lot of debt so either have parents who are willing to help fund the process or step back and say what do you really want to accomplish so we go back to entrance exam prep do you really need an MCAT prep course it's going to cost two thousand dollars or can you step back and say I can prepare for this by myself and save that money instead using that two thousand dollars towards interview costs later on 240 bucks for an entrance exam. We always want students to anticipate a repeat. We hope you don't have to. You'll have the primary fee. Most students apply to 7.6 medical schools. So eight is a nice average. You'll have secondary fees for those schools. And then hopefully if you get to interviews, let's say you're invited to 50% of the schools that you wanted to, three have flights and there's no lodging options. So you have to budget that in and you are accepted to two schools. Most of our students are accepted to um, one to two schools on average. Some schools go higher than that, so you have to figure those enrollment deposits could go up. So for every school that adds an interview, throw in another $830. And if you're applying to the Texas schools, they have a separate process, double this. So budget early. So now we're gonna talk about the pieces that are common across all the health applications, essays, letters, interviews, and making decisions. So the personal statement, this is where you have a chance to sell yourself to the program in a way that gives them information about you that they may not have in the rest of your application. Most of the time people are going to read through this pretty quick the first time through. Um, heard it's been on average three to five minutes for the reader first time through. They're going to scan through it and see what type of information are you giving me. Been told by the programs they will read all of these. So it is something that you want to take seriously when you're writing your essay. Some schools may answer specific questions or some application services will have specific questions to answer. Medical school, in general, you need to communicate your motivation for medicine. Other programs will specifically state, what is your motivation for being a physician assistant and what attributes do you possess that will make you a competitive applicant or successful in the profession or lots of different ways that they phrase it. So the key is to pay attention to the program's questions if they're asking them specifically and also what are the character and word limits that you're given. 5,300 characters for a med application, 4,500 characters for a dentistry, 5,000 characters for PA. It really varies across the programs. But all that information is out there and available right now in the instruction manuals, and you can see what are the prompts. So use your resources. In general, they want to determine who you are as a person. You know, what's your story? If you rehash your resume, you've told them no story. All you've said is, what's my resume? In all of your centralized applications, you're giving them your resume information. So step back and think of the personal statement as something else to tell them about you. The letters of recommendation provide that, hopefully, objective view of who you are as an applicant that would support your materials. 
They're not always required. We can use UNMC's College of Dentistry as an example. They'll accept letters of recommendation, but they do not require letters of recommendation. Um, most of the time, they will be required and they'll specify who those letters need to be from. They use these as supplemental materials. So if they do not need the letters prior to doing an interview, they will require the letters prior to making a decision. All of these will be a way of assessing you outside of the classroom if they're from people who are not faculty members. Your faculty members will want to talk about your aptitude and your interpersonal skills in addition to your academic performance. So you'll want to think about those letters from your faculty to say, is this person only going to say that I did well in the class? Or will this person be able to say, I did well in the class, but I demonstrated a lot of the skills that would be good for the career that I'm going into? You'll see in a lot of your materials that it asks for advisory committee or composite recommendations or recommendations by a pre-health advisor. UNL does not have an advisory committee or do we write composite recommendations. This will be something you'll need to look at the application services to see what are the alternatives or options. Most of the time they'll spell out different letters of recommendation combinations to satisfy the same purpose. Some schools will specifically require a letter by a pre-health advisor. Pre-health advisors cannot write letters for people they do not know. So if this is going to be a case, you'll need to make it a point to get to know the pre-health advisor or the letter that you'll be required to submit will provide no value to your application along the, along the way. Make sure you choose your writers carefully. Um, doesn't mean that getting an A in the class will be the less, best letter writer. Uh, your best letter writer might be someone that you had a B plus in the class because you demonstrated really good skills or as a class that you were able to work with the faculty member in um, research outside of the classroom, but they also taught you inside of the classroom. Other can be employers, professional contacts. Do not name drop. That's not going to impress anybody. What you need to do is make sure the person knows you. That's always going to be key to the right letter of recommendation. Once all of this is in, we're going to be doing interviews. This is going to be your opportunity to see them face to face. Do not assume that the interview will sell the deal if you have below average on your application numbers. Many times I'll have students tell me that, well, if I can just get to the interview process, they'll accept me. Not always the case. We can have the interview really be solid for somebody who is a good student. You can have an interview be solid for somebody who's a bad student. That doesn't mean that you'll be able to handle the rigors of the professional program. What this is telling them, though, if you're a really smart student, and you've done really well and you've done a lot of good things, can they envision you in the profession? This is where the interview can kill a really strong academic student because of the lack of interpersonal skills. They'll also go through and see if there's consistency of message. So is the person that they see facing them the same person that's represented on paper? For schools that do an open file interview, they'll have a sense of who you are before you sit down and they'll be able to assess this. For other programs that are closed file, They'll go back and look at the application materials after you've left the interview and determine was this the same student that I just saw. So we want to make sure that you're representing yourself as you are as a person all the way through the process. If you're applying to schools, we hope that you are interviewed, so just plan for it. Participate in mock interviews. Those are sponsored through the Explore Center and Career Services. Plan for those finances. Are you having to travel someplace? Most of the time, if you travel, it's going to be on short notice. Your airfare is always going to be more expensive. Um, plan for hotel, ground transportation, suit, or at least dry cleaning costs, depending on the type of interview outfit that you're planning on wearing. Um, related to the hotel expenses, many times programs will offer low fare, um, low fare housing with 
current med students or current professional school students that you can use or they'll have some housing that they've made arrangements for that's at a reduced fee you'll always want to check into that in advance of traveling the interview is also your chance to see if this is going to be a good fit most of the time students haven't had a chance to visit the program that they're interviewing at so when you go you're going to want to see can i fit in this program do i see myself here do I look like the students who are here? Do I feel like the students who are here? Do I like what I see? Um, you're gonna be spending the next three to four years in this program and spending a lot of money. So just to get in doesn't mean that that should trump the fit with your program. And then once all of this has happened, there'll be decisions. The notification times really do vary by programs. College of Dentistry will start notifying people December 1st. Everybody will know by December 1st when they're in. Other programs, medicine will not start accepting regular applicants until after December 1st, but those decisions can come through all the way until April. So it really kind of depends on where you're applying. Just know that if you haven't heard anything, you're still in consideration. If you're accepted, they'll expect you to put down a seat deposit. Um, there are rules for holding multiple acceptances. Once you hit a certain time of the year, they'll want you to release those seats so that they can accept a broader range of the class. So once you've accepted and you've paid a deposit and you've then been accepted someplace else, really start to evaluate, do you want to continue holding those seats that you've already paid? Um, the rules for the deposits, whether or not those are refundable deposits, will also vary by program. So you'll want to look into that before you pay the money for them. If you're waitlisted, some of the programs, this means that um, you'll be reviewed all the way up until the classes start. So you could get a phone call a week before professional school starts and be offered a seat. Um, other times this means that when you're waitlisted that um, you're guaranteed acceptance and if you're not brought into the school program for that year, they'll roll you over to the next year, almost like a deferred admittance. So you'll wanna see what waitlisted means for the different schools um, before going into the process. Generally, if you're waitlisted, it's going to put you on hold for the next few months until you see if you're in. And so during that time, you'll want to think about what will your options be if you're not accepted right away. In general, if you're not accepted, don't think that this means you're never going to get in. I always believe in the philosophy that it's, it's a not now, it's just not yet. So you're not accepted yet. What can we do to improve that? When possible, we want to determine this before you even go through the acceptance. Talk to your professional school, sit down, have those visitors who come to UNL evaluate your transcript and your resume get a sense of whether or not they're going to look at you or if there's weaknesses already in your application that you can make improvements on because sometimes that will take time. And time can be your friend in terms of repairing an academic transcript or a weak extracurricular transcript. You can't do that in a couple months. You'll need two to three semesters to make those repairs. Same if you're not accepted. If those are the type of things you need to fix, you may not be able to reapply the next year. You may have to take a full application cycle to sit out in the process and then reapply. But that's where you're going to want to talk to your professional schools that you were not accepted to and see what are the things they want to see the next time you apply. And then that's what you focus on. Don't go into the process assuming you know what is the weakness. If you know what the weakness is, fix it before you apply. Otherwise, find out from the programs and fix what they want to see because they will use that information on reapplication. And now in advance, since you know all the steps to apply, start to lay out a checklist that will identify everything you need to do in the process and start to pull together the information um, well in advance. Usually think about this a year before you start the application process. Look into your options so that if you can visit the programs, if they have visit days, 
UNMC's um, back stage program that they do in the spring for the School of Allied Health Professions, the visit days that different schools will do, um, open houses, anything like that. Also contact to see if they'll allow informal visits during holiday breaks or summer vacations. Um, some programs will allow that, some programs will not. So you'll just wanna check in advance. Um, as I said, it's an expensive process, so make sure you establish a budget well in advance um, and include that test prep if necessary. And there's lots of resources available to you. When you start this process, you're going through school knowing that this is your goal, so there really should be no surprises. You have plenty of people that you can work with, but also the application services give you great resources. Use those all the way along the process and you should be fine. And if there's any questions, be sure to contact us. We're located in the Explore Center in 33 Canfield. There are several advisors available to help you with your questions. You can schedule appointments through my plan or contact us through the Explore Center email at explorecenter at unl.edu.